Lingard is joining in, and he's seen Martinelli! Extraordinary! Set it for Saliba! For Kyle Saka, beaten out by the roof, and touched in by Jesus! Kyle Saka! Hello and welcome back to the Bruised Banana FC podcast, where today we are going to be talking about, firstly, uh, a win in the weekend, which looked like it was going to be a lovely, lovely win, but ended up not being quite as simple. And also we're going to be talking about the, the midweek looting game in the Premier League and some like a lot of stuff going around social media about it. I think it's been a really, really good discussion with the help of the Bruised Banana FC random superlative ejective generator. I can tell you that I am the ripest Luke, which is a lie because I've just had a shower, literally. And I'm also joined by the iciest Ben. Ben, is that is that December ice or is that ice you weren't worried about the last 10 minutes of the, of the Wolves game at all? Yeah, no, uh, definitely December ice, that, that <laughs> last 10 minutes of the Wolves game. I don't know if I was worried. I was just sort of resigned. Like, I've seen us do that before. It felt very full of me. I'm sure we'll come on to it. But, so uh, full of me. Like, the Zinchenko error and like, oh, man. You don't you don't want to point fingers, but I'm sure we will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, as fans, is it not our right to point all the fingers that we want to point? Because we're well, not I good mean, enough to play the sports, we can judge the people who I, are. I don't know about you, but I've only got ten, so I can only point ten really. See, so including your thumbs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Okay. Let's I mean, let's start talking about it. So it started off obviously really, really well. Some like in was it the first fifteen minutes we scored the the first two goals in the first one, um obviously a, a brilliant Bukayo Saka goal who again have has two players marking him from the get go finds that kind of gap in between him to play in Erdegaard receives the pass back gets a little bit of a, a lucky kind of deflection but then slots him past so when, when Saka gets his early goal because. Obviously, we know Wolves have good form this season against like the bigger teams. Like they did, um, had a good performance against Manchester United. Were like really like first, well, ended up being the first of many bad VAR calls against Wolves, and also beating Manchester City. When you're going into this game, did you have any expectations of Wolves coming into this, or or like like it, what I mean by that is, was that Saka goal a relief to you, or did you expect it? Well, I'm going to actually let you do the Gary O'Neill um, praising. And I'm just going to say that I expected a tough game, but Arsenal to win, which mm. was sort of, I mean, we got half of it. It wasn't really a tough game. Like we made it a tough game, but um, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, we got the win in the end, but when the first goal went in, I thought it was going to be the first of many, as I'm sure plenty did. We'd just come off that win against, uh, against Lons and it was like, well, we seem to have found our stride. Let's carry on. Uh, where we left off, and it did feel a bit like that. We picked up where we left. We picked up where we had left off. Um, yeah, I thought S- Saka has this. I feel like Saka is involved in everything at the moment, despite everyone saying that he's not really playing that well. He's even when double marked, he's sort of you know able to find space to create crosses or or take shots. Like, what, I don't know what we do without him at this point, and I, I dread to think about actually what we do without him. Well, I mean, that has been the problem for a while, really, hasn't it? And it's it's always been the fear that do we really have the money to try and secure a winger that's good enough on the right wing that if Saka was to get injured or need a rest, that we can capably rest him? Or the fact is we look at kind of current options, and I'm not really sure the options are there. But for now, we're lucky that Saka is crazily available. 
and so like he's just his fitness is a joke at this point. The amount of games he's played at such a young age, um, and also you know I mean so let's talk about the second goal as well. So this is like because you mentioned Zinchenko earlier, and I think that this is like the other side Zinchenko, isn't it? It's very risk reward player. He gets the ball, um, he passes it. I can't remember who to, but then he kind of goes for the return pass. Was it? I think Gabi Azusi passes too. Goes for the return pass and then cuts it across to Erdegaard, who kind of picks up that classic edge of the box Erdegaard position, where he can just kind of slot it into almost an empty net because we played the ball so quickly. The keeper's just kind of stranded on uh, the right side of his goal. It's, it's it's such good football, isn't it? Like this is like, and especially after people saying that you know all the attacking moves we had. Like in the week, there was a lot of dialogue about the stuff Jamie Carragher was saying about how we're not as good as we were last season, we're not as free-flowing. But I would say, and I don't know if you agree with this, that that goal is about as free-flowing as we have been under Arteta. Uh, Certainly this season, I think. Um, Maybe at parts of last season, you know, where we were beating Bournemouth 5-0. But, like, it's it's up there, isn't it? Like, it was... It was one of those goals where you just sort of have to sit back and be like, "Did that actually happen? Like, where's the where's the problem? Is someone offside? Like, what's going on?" Because it just looked too video gamey. You know, you run out, you, yeah. you you pass through everybody, and you've got ninety nine rated players or like the or twenty rated players on FM, and you're just like passing through teams for fun. Um, it was that that was the that was the goal where you sort of thought, right, these guys are here for the taking. Let's rack up another four or five. You know really send out another message to the league and yeah well it didn't really go to plan from there did it no and I, I would say I found myself when Zinchenko goes for a turn pass and you see him play it across and you can see it's going to Erdegaard I actually said like audibly I said please because I wanted it to be a goal so much because it was such a nice play and as well I'll see it's, it's nice that um, a Norwegian player in the Premier League can put um, put a sitter in from that range into that corner, so that is nice in itself. <laughs> oh man, yeah. That well, in, on the bright side, City dropped points. On the less bright side, Spurs picked up points. So you know, you pick your poison, yeah. I guess. Yeah, um, I'm quite happy with the result. Um, although I must say, I quite like the way that Mikel Arteta seems to have become sort of like a a reference figure. Like you, after the game, where Guardiola was like, "I won't make an Arteta's comment." And he's just like, it's "So what you actually mean is." You want to say all these things, but you don't want to because you'll get in trouble. Yeah, he is. It feels like he has become the martyr for all managers that are annoyed with yeah, yeah. decisions, but don't really want to say that they're annoyed with decisions. He's there so as like that's... the lightning rods. Yeah, he's, it's like he's like the metaphor for it now. Like you could just say, "Oh, you know, it's like it's like Mikel Arteta said," but I'm not going to say it. I wonder if they'll put that in some sort of like football term dictionary one day. An Arteterism. Yeah. There you go. And. Uh, so so we, we go back to the game and obviously you mentioned that, you know, we scored the two goals. We're all thinking this could be five. You know, we could be hitting like big, big numbers in this game because we're, we're tearing them apart at this point. And also like the keeper goes off injured. Um, it, it felt like everything was in place for us to, to really make this a massive win. And to be fair, I do think we took our foot off the gas after that and that is on us. But I do think, you know, like we talk about, you know, Martin Odegaard, who's been injured for a while, just come in back into the team over the last few games. An incredible performance from him. I've, I, I can't remember the exact stat, but I think it was 17 line-breaking passes, if I remember rightly, which is like obscene. And and the reason I mention this is because, obviously, he puts Nketiah through on goal. 
should be a goal. He puts Trossard for on goal, should be a goal. So it, it, I, I completely understand what you're saying in the sense that we took our foot off the gas and we shouldn't have done that. We should have gone for the kill beforehand because games aren't won at 2-0. I still think uh, like any football fan of Teo 2-0 is still a fairly precarious uh, scoreline as we found out in the last 10 minutes. But I do think that had Nketiah and Trossard been able to put together, you know, I mean, put away what should be like fairly simple chances to, to get on target, then would we be having this conversation? You know, if we went 3-0 up and then possibly 4-0 up, would we be sitting here now and saying, oh God, we, we made hard life of it? No, but that, that that's football, isn't it? Like, it's, it's just, you leave yourself in the lap of the gods if you don't make it unassailable. And we didn't. And we, mm-hmm. yeah, you can point fingers and say Nketiah should have scored and he was poor. You could say Trossard should have scored. But the truth is we created those two chances as about the only things that we created in the second half, when in the first half we could have created chances for fun. Like, yeah. we needed... I, I think this team has a... Well, I mean, we've seen it already last season. Like, it has a problem with taking the lead and then just sitting on its laurels. And in fairness, Manchester City did it too on Sunday. So it's not like we're the only club that does it. But as a fan, you just want to see three, four, five, and I appreciate that that's quite difficult if you've played midweek and it's basically the same eleven playing again. But like, it's just you—you you don't want that that tension in the ground either, like because no, at two 0 yeah, it's exactly. fine. But then Cunha scores, and it's like, oh, are we really going to throw away? Because it's a team that it was a performance for the first half that deserved to win the game. And the team deserved to win the game. And it just feels like they're undermining all their hard work by taking their foot off the gas when in the Premier League, you know, mar- the margins are so fine. They are so, so fine. And, you know, the, the thing is that you have to go a long way to find bad teams in the Premier League. There are a few under-level teams this year, and we, you can see that. But other than that, most of the teams are, are so formidable and they have the budget to buy really good players. Like, Matthias Cunha isn't clinical by any means, but, like, he is a talented player. This is a player that was rated really highly and he went to Atletico Madrid. So he is a player with talent and, you know, Wolves have always had the budget to, like, even if they've kind of been gutted to, to all intents and purposes this summer, they've still got talented players and we have to take that into account in every game. And I guess... We want to come on Sinchenko because we mentioned him before. Let's go a little bit more in depth. This this is a player that is obviously, as I said before, he's risk reward, isn't he? Like his influence in that central area is really like it's it's pretty phenomenal, I think. And he does have his his amazing plus points, like what he did for the Ogre goal. Like it's the, the the confidence he's got a bit of an arrogance fan, doesn't he, Zinchenko, where he's happier to try these things, like like getting the ball making that run across, like the little touches he kind of makes. He's so aggressive in his forward passing where he just, whenever he gets the ball, he just wants to, he almost wills it into a forward area. And that is really good. But obviously we can't have that discussion about also talking about the defensive side of him, which I do think has improved this season. He, he, he tends to, he seems to be like he's winning more of his tackles. But at the same time, you know, he gave the ball away in the Fulham game, which led to the equaliser there. And you, as you said, this Wolves game felt very, very Fulhamish. And it's the same as now. Like Rice has the ball in the box, and I might be wrong here. It looks to me like Rice is kind of prepped just to carry the ball out of the box, but Zinchenko almost kind of takes the ball away from him and says, "All right, I'll take care of that," and then just dribbles it a bit further into his own box, which is when he loses it. Where, where do you stand on the risk reward of Zinchenko? Because obviously, Tommy Asu's come into team at right back. 
um, and done phenomenally, like really well over the last few games. And I know he went off, but I think I said after the game that it was mostly fatigue thing. So it's not a dead cert that he's going to be out um, over the next few games. Would you, at this point, want to take Zinchenko out with, for someone like Tomiyasu because of that defensive frailties? Or would you want to keep Zinchenko in because of the influence he has on the ball? I mean, I, th- I think it's horses for courses. I, I think for Luton, mm-hmm. for instance, you definitely keep him in the team because you're going to be trying to di- break down a pretty deep block. But when it comes to like playing Villa and Villa Park, you might not want to have him in the team. And what I suppose, I suppose I'll flip it back to you and ask: If Urien Timber was fit, do you think Zinchenko would be starting games for Arsenal still, or do you think that Mikel Arteta saw the massive weakness defensively that he was last season and went, "Well, I got to fix that ASAP." Yeah, I think you're bang on with that, to be honest. And I think we saw that. I'm not sure if he was brought in specifically to play left back, but I do think that he was brought in with that kind of thing in mind. Like we saw previously, like all of his stats at Ajax, the, like how many progressive passes he could play, like the, the fact he could carry the ball. It did feel a lot like he was the the slightly more defensively robust version of Zinchenko in that role. So I don't know if he was there specifically to to be like that massive central influence because I do think that and, and um, as as I say this the, the games that he played the, the bigger games um the I guess the the, the quote unquote competitive games and I only put those in quotes because it includes the charity shield in there he wasn't really that inverted against Manchester City but I don't know if that's a Manchester City thing if you know yeah. what I'm saying like especially because we had Rice and Party I think they both started that game didn't they so maybe there isn't really the room for him to invert in that sense but um I do think that that there's something there. To be honest, I do think that if and when he does come back, like whether it be this season, um, uh, I do think Zinchenko's got a big fight ahead of him because, at the end of the day, as good as he is, and I do think that in that central midfield area, he's up with the best creative players in, in the league. But if he keeps giving away goals like that, he's going to get the same treatment as like a Ramsdale. He's going to get the same treatment as a Tierney. Like if if you show too much for weakness, especially defensively. I think that offensively, it feels like Arteta has a bit more leeway where as long as they're doing their job tactically, he's got a bit more leeway of how many goals people scores. But if you're a defensive, um, if you're hurting us defensively, then it does feel to me like he takes a bit more offense to that. Uh, what, what do you think? So obviously we haven't seen too much of Timber, um, but yeah. we know that he was obviously, he was, bought and really really impressed in pre-season um we don't know when he's going to come back but like to, to throw your question back at you uh <laughs> do you do you think that Sinchenko is at risk yeah yeah I think that maybe not against mid-table sides or you know sides that we're going to see a lot of the ball at and we can sort of have we can afford the risk like as you say it's risk reward with him but I think certainly if we were to play a Champions League knockout game, it would be Timber starting if they were both fit because you just can't... Like, it's such a low-scoring game. I mean, you said that he doesn't mind so much if forwards score goals, if forwards don't contribute directly. Um, I think that's fair because, you know, you you only need to score two goals or one goal if you can do well defensively. And there are five, 11 players on the pitch that can score, but each of those 11 players can also just cost you goals. And if Zinchenko is consistently costing you goals... There is not a chance that he's going to carry on playing, in my opinion. Like Arteta is ruthless in that regard, and I think bringing in Timber, I think losing Timber, in fact, was a massive, massive blow. And 
the fact that we're still top without him is is really impressive. Yeah, no, I think I think that's that's really really bang on. He's he's earmarked for a big role at Arsenal. I I, I really do believe that, and I think that um, when he does come in, it's going to be interesting to see how the team shifts. But unfortunately, that may not be for a while. So let's let's move on. So you know we've got that game out of the way. Uh, as as you said quite rightly, it should have been a lot more less anxious than it ended up being. But, you know, still six points on the boards. Six points? Three points on the boards. We're going for six points uh, this week. We have Luton coming up, which obviously on paper, on paper, Luton are the worst team in the league. Um, that's not quite how the, the league table reads right now. They're, they're just above the relegation zone with the Everton point deduction. And um, maybe surprisingly, are above both Burnley and Sheffield United with um, nine points out of the 14 games. I do think that at Kenilworth Road, they're possibly like a some someone we have to watch because obviously I don't know if you watched the Liverpool game when Liverpool went there they held them to the ninety fifth minute and I think that's something you've got to take into into consideration. So the first thing I want to say is I, I mentioned to you before we started recording that Luton have the second smallest pitch in the league. Um, have you got any guesses on on who you think is the the smallest? Yeah, so I was I was doing some thinking, and I've come up with two answers that I think mm. make sense, but I'm not sure. I've thought I've, I was thinking like older stadiums, probably quite penned in grounds. So I've gone for Selhurst Park and Goodison Park. Those are my two guesses. Um, have I got it? No, but you're you're close. Have so I'm... I'll I'll give you the numbers. I'll give you the numbers. So in area, like meters wise, Luton have. They're there. They've got 6,619 metres. Right. Everton have 6,832. Palace have yeah. 6,868. So they're both just above Luton. Okay. And first place is actually, and you're on the right lines here, is Craven Cottage with 6,500. I would have never got that, to be fair. I um, think your logic was right, though. Older stadium. Yeah, yeah. But it's just like... I always I went I thought of the stadiums where where I think Arsenal struggle the most because we like to play you know quite wide, quite expansive football and use the wings a lot so it's like where do we where do we normally struggle and it's like mm. Selhurst Park and Goodison Park. Do Do you know who the or who do you think is the the biggest pitch? Because I'm just reading it now. <laughs> if this, if this website is right, swallowed then... like the football almanac or something. <laughs> if this website's right, I'm actually fully surprised by this. But I'll give you. a... I'll give you a clue yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. The, the who they have as the, the biggest pitch in the league isn't isn't the big any of the big six. I would. Ooh, who would I say? I would say. Uh, here's a good shout here. I'm literally just playing for time now. Um, let's go. <laughs> uh, Newcastle United. Oh, no, apparently, and I'll, I'll say just to like as a bit of. Uh, Comparison: The Arsenal pitch is apparently seven thousand one hundred forty meters, right? Apparently, right. at seven thousand five hundred meters, you've got Nottingham Forest City grounds. Jesus. Um, well, to be That's fair, huge. That's a given whopper. the number of players they bought, they probably need. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they bought them all, and the the Greek owners yeah, probably yeah. Are like, what? We can't have twenty players on the pitch at once. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, Luton, would yeah. you rotate 
That's what I want to know because I've seen it on exactly. Twitter all day. I've been like, "Are we going to rotate? Are we not going to rotate?" Someone, someone was like, "We should rotate," and I was like, "What do you mean, Kenilworth exactly. Road?" Yeah, 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 exactly that. And it's and I'll read out the tweet that I saw. I'm not going to name him because obviously we're not in the the business of digging people out. It's just it's just an opinion. But like, what the, their point of view was, I believe the Luton game is an ideal opportunity for rotation. It'd be great to see Reese, Eddie, and maybe Kai in action, giving Saka, Gabby Jesus, and Odegaard a rest. Um, uh, my my initial reaction to that is I feel like that is part of the thinking that can make us slip up. Because if you go into like a tight ground like Kenilworth Roads, fans up for it, a team that has shown... And, and if we're being fair, right, Liverpool probably the the free, the most free-scoring team in the league. They can't defend for Toffee, but that team can score. And they, they held Liverpool till the 95th minute. So in my mind, I think we've got to go. We've got to go there with as close to a starting eleven as we can. And if we have to rest one or two for the midweek, with the, you know, all the the rest of the winter schedule coming up to us, when we're thinking, okay, we may need to get this guy out of the red zone if we can. Then fair enough. But we need, in my opinion, the closest thing to a first eleven as we can. What, what do you think? I'm with you a hundred percent. I don't think we can afford to rest players in the league. Um... But like you just also you just don't want to lose momentum, do you? We've got a really tough mm. run of I say tough. We've got a lot of fixtures coming up, and it's sort of one of those where I look at the team and I go, well, if Tommy S is not fit and Timber's injured, your defense sort of picks itself anyway. The only other option there is Kivior, I think, that's going to be missing, right? Because it'll be Zinchenko. No, 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 but I'm saying it'll be Zinchenko, oh, White, Gabriel, Saliba. Uh, oh, I get you. Yeah, yeah. It would yeah. only be Kivior out if Party's injured. Then it's Rice or Jorginho. And then further forward, you I mean, Havertz and Trossard is, a, you know, like for like, and Erdegaard has to play. So I mean, even if like Fabio Vieira is injured, Smith Rowe is injured, all of your options to rotate safely, I think, are out of the out of the window because of injury. Like, I don't know who you... I, I don't see how you try and shoehorn, like, substitutes into the side. When, like... You want to you want to keep the same like basis of the team, you know. You don't want to have yep. Havertz on the right, and you don't want to have um, I don't know Trossard like on the right of midfield or whatever. Like the same nucleus needs to stay, and I think the players that are plug and play, uh, their replacements currently injured. Like in midfield, you have got Fabio Vieira, Smith Rowe both out. Defense, you, like a fullback, you got if Tommy Asu's out and Timber's out, and like it feels like the rotation is just a pipe dream to me. Yeah, exactly that, to be honest. I think that a lot of the team really just picks itself, as as you kind of alluded to there. Like Havertz, I think he's he's almost kind of set up to play this game, isn't he? Where like he was on the bench uh, against Bournemouth, but against Brentford, sorry, and then played against Lanz and then on the bench against Wolves. And now he's, you know, and, and he's been in good form every time he's come on. And obviously, you know, big player, this can be a physical game again on a, on a small pitch. He suits this because we're gonna realistically, as you say, we're gonna they're gonna have a deep block. We're gonna potentially have to do a bit more crossing. We really want to. We're gonna need people with his height and and positioning to be able to kind of get in the box. And and say like, Odegaard's just come off of one of the best performances I've seen in Odegaard for you know pretty much all season. I think that's the best performance he's had this season. Are we really telling me that we're gonna drop him for the next game just just to try and like rest him when we're at a point of you know, this winter period, it, it, this is massive for title challenges. This is where where teams like 
like title challenges come and die here you know like you've got to get through this period if we can win every game in this set of fixtures then we go into january with such a huge um uh, such a huge advantage because at this point it's looking like city can't control games as well as they used to and they may drop more points um, and they got i think it's villa next and they're going to be missing rodri and I'm not sure if any other players, but obviously we know that Grealish. when they missed Rodri and Grealish, yeah. So you and, know, and Doku went off injured, so they could be missing their left wing entirely. Mad. You say that, and we know that without Rodri, they're a hugely different team. And we know that Unai Emery is is pretty good at shit housing some results in these types of games. So the, this is an opportunity for us because it's a it's a momentum thing and a mentality thing. We've got to try and keep the pressure on City because we know they're going to come good at the end of the season. So we need to get as, as far away from this as we can now and set ourselves up um, for that kind of end of the season battle if we really want to, you know, be in it and, and, and this time win it. Um, so if we're looking at this 11, and th- like you said, the defence kind of picks itself. In terms of that midfield three, would you go for a Georgina midfield or would you go for, for a Havertz? I think I'd go Rice, Havertz, Erdegaard. Just, I think, I think especially in a game that's going to be quite physical and quite um well like you want you want to be able to defend like Luton are going to play for set pieces and try and score from set pieces right mm-hmm. yeah, so sure. i think Havertz's height at the back will help um i mean he's a threat in both boxes and i think he's sort of he's able to pick up those spaces that are going to be in between the lines much better than rice will be able to um so I, I think that's what I'd go for. I like Georgine, I like the idea of Jorginho to sort of control the game, but also I feel like it affects our our sort of defensive block when it comes to transitions, because obviously mm-hmm. he's not... If, if you had Rice's athleticism with Jorginho's passing brain, then that'd be perfect, but we don't. So if you want to choose one, <laughs> I think you have to have Rice, because he's he's been really impressive even with his line breakers, like line-breaking passes in the last few games. Yeah, I think I, I do agree with you, to be honest. And I do think that... Um, uh, like generally, obviously, we know Luton are going to be a physical team, and um, uh, you know Morris up front is a physical player. Um, but I think generally, like most of their their talent comes in in pace, like that, like Ogben that they've got in the wing is really really quick. They've got <laughs> Chicken Foot Townsend on the other side that we know he's probably still got a bit of pace about him. So, have you heard that about Townsend, by the way? What the bloke he's Chicken Foot for? Um... Recovery uh, purposes. Recovery, yeah. But to be fair, he's only got one knee at the moment, so... Jeez. I might give it a go, you know. He said they're quite nice. What, one knee or chicken feet? Oh, yeah, no, I'll, I'll keep my two knees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't quite have the uh, recovery facilities that he has. Yeah, I think that... Um, yeah, they've they've got they've got good good outlets as well, I think, on uh, with the wing-backs. Um, I've... <laughs> It, it, this is the thing. On paper, it looks like a game that you should win four or five nil. But I kind of worth right with the atmosphere they can create. With that, if you don't get that early, early goal, the longer that they can hold it in that sort of drawing game state is going to be obviously more, more and more difficult. It's not like the game's going to open up as they push for a winner. If you if, mm-hmm. if you offer them a point now, they bite your hand off. So if you offer mm-hmm. them a point after seventy minutes, they're going to bite you know half your half your uh, body off. <laughs> <Yeah>. So. <laughs> It's just one of them things. You're going to have to. I think early goal uh, will help you control the game, and then you can, as long as you manage the transitions, you'll be fine. That's the, that's that's what we've got to do. That's what Liverpool failed to do a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's obviously what City have failed to do so far this season, a fair bit. Um, yeah, I'm I'm 
not concerned, but I think rotation is off the table. Mm, yeah, I agree. I think it's it shouldn't be a tricky game, and it may not end up being a tricky game. But you almost you you we're in that part where you just don't give it the opportunity to be a tricky game, right? Yeah. Like you yeah. you you snub it out straight away. You you get in with your best players. You score. Um, in the first five minutes, you, then then you try and control it. You force them to come out of their block and then see what happens there. Yeah, and you 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 are three 0 up after sixty five minutes, and you can take off Saka and Erdegaard and bring on Nelson and bring on whoever you want, really. Mm, exactly. Um, that, I, that, but that's that's always my my um outlook on a game. Like whoever we play, if it's the FA, like the last thing you want to do is leave it on young, experienced heads to try and get you back into a game or get the winner. You know. You want to be able to bring them on in a place where they can afford to make a mistake, and it's okay. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. So, um, I think we're going to do some predictions now, and then I've actually got just just a few bits of transfer news I want to talk to you about, Ben. If uh, if I can keep you here and speak yeah, to me, mate. if that's yeah, all right, you can have some of my time. Don't worry. Oh, thank you. So, predictions. Um, I'll start. I'll start. I'm going to go. And I think I say this a lot. I always fancy us to keep clean sheets away. I'm not sure why we can't do it at home. I'm actually going to say 3-0 Arsenal. And I'm going to say uh, Jesus to score first. I'm going to go 2-0 Arsenal and Havertz to score first. Mm. Yeah, I'd be happy with Viva, to be fair. So yeah. now that we've moved on from the game, there's just the, the, there's two bits of big transfers that came in the last, last couple of days. The first one we'll talk about is certain 28-year-old Portuguese midfielder going by João Polini, who plays at the club with the, the smallest pitch in the Premier League and um, come out over the last few days that potentially Arsenal are looking at him um, as a summer signing. What's your initial reaction to this? Because I'll be honest with you, I'm a little bit torn on it. Is it the age that you're torn about? It's not actually the age. Okay, because talk to me. My 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 fear is right. I'm a big fan of Jao Pelinia. I think he's like he's a dual monster. Um, in a lot of ways, he's a brilliant player. I'm not exactly sure what we're going for if we were to actually want him. And that's not to say that I wouldn't want him. It's more that I'm not sure he has the technical ability to to be in that midfield. Like I, I think I remember saying before that. I think that Rice has to improve in his general passing. That's not to say I don't think he's a good passer. I just think that at the top level, we need to see a bit more from him. And I, I still feel that to a certain extent, to be fair. But I think that when you've got Zinchenko there and you've got a, a point to Jorginho there and obviously Erdegaard's buzzing around as well, I think that it, it nullifies it a little bit. I think that if you were to have a midfield, let's say, where you've got Polina at the base and you've got Rice at the left, um, then I think that I'm not sure what the balance is there. Obviously, it's physically very, very commanding. And I think in certain games, like when we play like the Man Cities and the Liverpools, I think that makes a lot of sense. But I just think if you're buying a player for the price that is reported, and I think, you know, there's not actually had like a proper price yet, but if it is going to be like 50 to 60 million kind of price, then I'm not completely sure that Jao Pilina is good enough player technically on the ball for us to have in that team without him being a bit of a, a squad rotation option. What, what do you think? Um, I mean, I haven't really thought about him on the ball. I know he gets to so much work defensively, 
But um, like to play for Fulham, I think you have to be pretty decent on the ball. They they play a, a decent enough style of football that if you weren't good on the ball, you'd have been found out by now. And then you know Bayern Munich probably wouldn't want you as well. So there's that. Mm-hmm. But I I thought that your main concern was going to be about the age, which I don't have. Like if he's going to be, is he going to be 29 by the top, by next summer? Maybe. Let me have a look. Let me have a look. T six. Because like if he's like you can probably play till you're thirty two, thirty three in that area, um, so that's fine. But it's more like there are probably younger players out there that you could get a hold of that mm. might not be the 9th so. Of July next year he turns twenty. So just turned twenty nine. But it is one of those where like if he comes in, he's not going to come in to sit on the bench. Exactly. Like he'll come in to start, and if he's coming in to start, he's coming in to start alongside. You'd think. British once British record transfer Declan Rice. Mm-hmm. Like you're not dropping him either. So I understand the need for squad depth there, but maybe I, I don't think that the rumour has legs because I don't think Arsenal will be able to pay what Fulham want. Uh, I don't think he'll accept being a bit part player and I don't think he'll be able to get the minutes that, here that he probably wants. Like if he goes to Bayern, he will start every game. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that, that in itself is the thing. Like if he goes to Liverpool, he'll start every game. It's that sort of thing where Arsenal are probably the one of maybe two, three clubs in the world football where he wouldn't start every game. Yeah, I think that's really it, isn't it? Is that we just paid that price for Havertz. And whilst I can understand that there's still reservations about Havertz, and obviously football changes very, very quickly, it does feel to me like Havertz is starting to kind of come into it a little bit, where you're starting to see the signs of him providing what I imagine he's been bought to provide. And obviously, you know, he could play the next few games and be like, not great. And we go back to what feels like square one. But at the same time, um, if he does end up being a success, then are you going to sign someone for 60 million to kind of rotate in and out of that area where, where realistically we're asking him to play because, you know, Erdogan's not going to get dropped. He's the club captain. And then you've got Declan Rice, you've got Kai Havertz, and you've got um, potentially Jao Polina coming in. It feels like it's it's a nice situation to have. But I agree with you in the idea that Jao Polina isn't going to come to Arsenal to sit on the bench. He's going to come here thinking that he's going to be a first-team regular. Same way David Raya came in and he came in to be a first-team regular because that's what he's earmarked to do. Because that, you know the same conversations we had at the, at the start of the summer um, not only on here, but also in a lot of group chats um, with other people where it's like you spend 30 million for a goalkeeper, then the likelihood is you're not going to be completely happy with your options in that area. Same way if you spend 60, 65 million or maybe you know, a bit under that on a on a on number six, then it probably means that you're not completely happy with, with your options in that area either. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would say if we're looking for play in an area, because if, if we did want to, let's say, not use Havertz as a starting player, and we did want to have the option of having Rice on, on the left side of midfield, then my thought would be similar to the Timber signing we talked about earlier, where Timber is a bit like Sinchenko, but he's got a bit more robustness about him. I'd say we'd be looking at a Jorginho with a bit more robustness about him. Like, I'm not sure exactly what player we could be looking at with that. But, you know... I think that that's the kind of profile we'd be looking at. Someone that can do that more dictating part of the game, someone that can pick up the ball in the area whilst it gives Rice 
that ability to carry the ball a bit more, like, you know, drive forward with the ball that we see him do a few times. So let's, let's yeah, let me get... I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. Let me get a yay or nay from you, Ben. If if you were to see, let's say, the season's over, um, uh, and you see David Ornstein tweets, Arsenal have put in a £50 million bid offer for Jao Polina. Is it a yay or a nay for you? Um, it's probably a, a yay at fifty million. But if it's like, you know, if we're offering seventy five, then it's a is he worth it kind of vibes. Which to be mm. fair, was kind of what it was like for Kai Havertz. Like, if we'd got him for forty, it would have been a yay. And you know, I really like Kai Havertz, so uh, even at sixty five, it was sort of a all right. I have enough trust in Mikel Arteta and Edu to um to like back the signing, but. You know, if it's, I know a lot of people would nay on Havertz, and probably and a lot of them still are, in fairness. But um, yeah, I think I think they've earned enough trust. But it would be one of those where you're looking at it and going, really, is that what we need? Like, we have so many other positions maybe that we need to fill, especially if we're going to go big on a striker. That seventy million on a DM or sixty million mm-hmm. on a DM or whatever seems um, excessive. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that as well, to be honest. And, you know, I guess it's something we have to see because Arsenal, you know, we're linked to a lot of players. And, you know, when you compare, like, the fact that we're linked to Douglas Louise, who we could probably fairly say that we probably do have interest in because we have previously bid on him. When you're going from him to Polina, to me, that's like such a shift of profiles. Um, uh, I don't know. I mean... It, uh, one one player I would say that I like the look of that when I've seen the team play that I think could be good in that area and I think that Dutch league to Premier League is so hit and miss so it's known I've got no idea how he'd work but whenever I watch PSV I think Joey Veerman is such a good player and if we were to be linked with him in the media then I think that be that could be pretty cool but you know we will see there is one more bit of transfer news I want to talk to you about, and it is the link of that Newcastle apparently like Aaron Ramsdale. Uh, we we spoke previously about obviously you know I think we're pretty accepted that Ramsdale is eventually going to leave because he's not going to get the team ahead of Raya at this point, bar something pretty dramatic. We know he's going to go. Um, uh, we spoke last time about the fact that he could potentially go to Bayern Munich, um, uh, and that would be like a like a a nice move for an Arsenal fan because he goes abroad. Like we probably get a decent fee for him. We can continue liking him because he's not playing in England. Kind of like, you know, not, not, not dissimilar from maybe like a Serge Nabry kind of thing, but Newcastle kind of throws up a different perspective to that because Newcastle are a team very clearly on the up. We know that they're setting up that football club to spend a lot more of, you know, the riches that they're, they have in, in that reserve. So we know that if they keep spending cleverly like it feels like they have done since they've um, taken over Newcastle then they're a team that at some point are going to be challenging us at the summit and and potentially even like you know being the team at the summit because they've got um, a lot more money than anyone else in the league if they can sort the team out to be able to spend it so if Ramsdale was to go to Newcastle would you be okay with that or or would it be price dependent? Uh, Price dependent for sure I think it would be a lot of money as well like we're not talking sort of like 30 40 million i think we'd be talking well in excess of 50 60 just because like we don't need to sell we probably don't want to sell in january newcastle need to buy um or they need to bring someone in cuz 
Pope's apparently undergoing shoulder surgery, mm-hmm. and we'd be selling them a player who's effectively above Pope in the England pecking order, or should be rather, um, who's in his prime, and who um, who like he's one of the most valuable goalkeepers in world football. So just because he doesn't play for us doesn't mean we shouldn't command FTP, especially from a side that everybody knows is backed by oil money, um, overtly or covertly. So it's one of those things that I think that would be fine. I don't mind, but it has to be at a price that works for Arsenal and allows us to go and buy, you know, maybe maybe go and buy Palinia for instance, for example. Yeah. Like, well, we're not we're not I wouldn't want him to go for like thirty million. Put it that way, mm-hmm. especially to like a Premier League rival, um, like to a side that, as you say, are on the up. They clearly have a good atmosphere, and we know Ramsdale loves a good atmosphere. So, like, I could see it working really well for him at Newcastle. They'd love him. They'd love him. <laughs> He'd love him. Yeah, yeah. And it's just one of those things that the passion, like the the passion that they play with, means that he'd fit right in. But also, you wouldn't want it like. You can see that, so you you want to get the money for him for that, you know? Yeah. Do, do you think that it's a bit strange? I mean, I, I know that obviously, as you say, Nick Pope is getting surgery. I think what I started to say that it looks like he's back in February, March. Um, so he's out for a while, and obviously that is really bad for their season. But do you think? Because because I'm just looking at it now, Nick Pope is 31 years old. Like for a goalkeeper, that's not old. He's still got, you know two or three years minimum, I'd say, at the level he's currently at. And you t- you probably say that, you know, he's he's been a, a huge success since moving to Newcastle. Obviously, he hasn't got the ability that Rams has to play with his feet. He hasn't got, like, that distribution that Ramsdale has. Do you think it's a bit, like, um, like a bit scattergun for them to, to be looking at other goalkeepers when they're realistically only going to be without Pope for for a few months or, or or do you think that Ramsdale is legitimately I mean I, I would say he's, he's an upgrade on Pope I'm not sure how much of an upgrade he is on Pope do you know what I mean yeah I think it like it's it could be a good long-term solution I've also seen the link with David De Gea today so you know yeah. take it all with a pinch of salt but um Nick Pope to David De Gea I just think Pope I mean I've always had questions over Pope um, specifically, you know, with his ability with his feet and that. But um, I think Ramsdale would be a pretty clear upgrade. Whether it would be worth the money that they spend for the amount of upgrade they get is another matter. Um, I think Newcastle fans love Pope. So it'll be, it would be a weird one. And obviously, no top team is able to have two goalkeepers. Gary Neville's made that very clear. <laughs> so, you know, he, he might have to move on and he'd fetch a deep... I mean, he'd probably fetch a decent fee. I could see him somewhere like Palace... Um, doing quite well, but uh, it's all like we're we're talking January. We've got we've got to get through December first, and it could all change. Raya could pick up an injury, or mm-hmm. you know Ramsdale could somehow miraculously work his way back into the starting eleven. So I think there's still a lot to to get through, and we'll see links everywhere between now and then. I, re- I imagine he'll be linked Chelsea and Bayern every day for the next month. So it's pretty clear he's going to go whether it be Newcastle, Chelsea, Bayern, someone else you haven't heard of, maybe PSG or whatever. like that's that. I guess that remains to be seen. But as long as we get a good fee for him, I think the writing's very much on the wall for that. Yeah, and you're right in the sense that uh, the thing I always say about football is that football moves fast. So like in the space of, of two games, which were what, like four days apart, 
Kai Havertz has gone from not fancied at all to, you know, to potential resurgence. So, you know, football can change very, very fast. But I think that's a great place for us to leave it. It's great that another midweek game so we can um, uh, we can watch that one tomorrow and then we'll be back with a reaction pod to that afterwards. Fingers crossed that we make it a bit more simple than we did the Wolves game. But if you have listened this far, then thank you very much for listening this far. I have been the fanciest Luke and I've been joined by the humblest Ben and we've been the Bruce Runner FC podcast and have a great evening. Thank you very much. Odegaard is joining in and he's seen Martinelli! Extraordinary! Set it for Saliba! Bukayo Saka beaten out by the race and touched in by Jesus! Bukayo Saka! 